There's a place some of us go each fall, a place where the ring of a bell filters through the covers, and hurried shouts of bird up bring everybody to attention, a place where the playful puppies around our house are transformed here to driven bird finders, and where there is confidence in the slow pace of the silver-muzzled old veterans where our friends tell the same old stories each year, and none of us seem to mind. Where great shots are forgotten, and epic misses never fade. Where an old gun will have a story to tell, if only it could speak to us. Where all the good seats are claimed by the dogs. If you have a camp, you know these things all too well. And if you don't, well, you're always welcome here. So pull up a chair, tell us about your favorite gunner dog, and we'll admire the birds together and talk the night away by the fire. Welcome to Bird Camp. I'd like to begin by thanking the Patreons for their support of the podcast, and if anyone would feel inclined to participate in sponsoring the podcast, we do that through Patreon at Bird Camp. If you want to get a hold of us for some reason, the best way is by email or by messenger here on Facebook. Uh, email address mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. I'd like to hear from you, things I'm doing right, things I'm doing wrong, or uh, came up with a couple ideas. A bird hunting dilemma, an unsung hunting hero, or an unpopular hunting opinion. Something that uh, myself and a guest can try to put together either a serious or, well, let's see what happens. Maybe this will work sort of solution. Anyway, on with the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bird Camp Podcast. I am your host, Joe Schwenke, and I'm sitting here now with another repeat guest. This is Dennis Stakowitz from Aspen Thicket Grouse Dogs. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's glad to have you on again. And, uh, I know before you guys kind of wandered in conversation when the Thorn Brothers were talking to you. We're going to maybe, well, we're still going to really wander around, but uh, let's also then maybe focus on something a little as well, and that is uh, becoming a better grouse hunter. And I thought of you right away as a, as someone we could probably uh, get some insight from. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I don't know whether it's, I should be considered, you know, whether it's, better to be lucky or, or good in that case. But, you know, I appreciate the, the kind thoughts and I'd like to help in any way I can. Right. Well, and too, we all know, I know you're a coach too. So skill and practice makes luck, right? My, the kids in my wrestling room will tell you that practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of like my, my skeet shooting when I was good at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is something to be said for that, though. You know, if you I always tell kids that I'd rather I'd rather have you slow and accurate than fast and sloppy when it comes to learning things in the wrestling room, because mm -hmm. eventually you'll you know, the the perfection of the move comes later on. And and if you practice perfect, you are going to perform perfect or damn near. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that. That definitely applies with, with shooting. Anything hurried and sloppy doesn't really work in the long run. Yes. But, 
If all else fails, just keep telling yourself cheek to stock with every step you take through the woods, right? (laughs) Right. Cheek to stock. Uh, Slow is fast. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That that one, on the other hand, that one usually is a big one, especially we've got a little uh, youth day tomorrow. And the biggest thing you can teach a kid at 14 years old, all amped up, his first flush is at 10 feet, wait till 30 yards, just slow down you got lots right. of time and right next thing you know bam, bam. Like, hmm, miss and miss like okay slow down on the next one <laughs> it's gonna be a it's gonna be a lot of fun i love doing these kind of things oh that's good stuff that's great stuff yep. you know i i don't believe at the time of the podcast last year i had experienced uh so my oldest son evan who's 11 um he shot his first pointed grouse last year mm-hmm. uh, off of, on the wing and uh yeah it was the whole conversation the same conversation you know and he's hunted with me several he's actually hunted with me for probably two years and he's he's missed a couple you know and mm-hmm. all those same little things look you got you just relax you know all the practice we've done cheek just remember cheek to stock slow is fast you know and yep boy when they finally get one oh that is just, that's one of the most amazing things I've ever been able to participate in my entire life. Yep, yep. I seen, I think, yeah, it was your son. I also saw one of the Heller boys got a first one on the wing this year, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I'm kind of sitting here now with my boys. They're almost to the age where they're going to start grouse and woodcock hunting. I'm like, all right, it's coming up. You know, don't feel any oh, pressure from your brother. Just slow as smooth. Oh man, I'm telling you, that first grouse on a wing is, whoo, I still remember mine. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and that, and then just being the parent watching it is like, oh my God. And then you just hope it sinks in because you want that next generation to, you know, to carry it forward and still hunt. I I remember mine, but it wasn't the same as I think my kids are going to have. We were, I'll, I'll divert into this story right away just so. We'll knock sure. the, the dust not? off this one. And uh, my dad and his hunting partner, we were deer hunters at the time. We'd shoot turkeys and deer, a few rabbits. And we're up in the UP over by a place and uh, scouting for deer. Got a 20-gauge cased, unloaded, of course, because Johnny Law is always around the next corner. And right. uh, he sees this grouse wander off the two-track as we're getting there. And it's, you know, hey, you know, see if you can't get out and get that one. That's why the 20-gauge was there. It was a little single-shot Stevens. And uh, I run to the back of the truck and I grab out the gun and I grab two shells and get it loaded. And as I'm walking up, I see one sitting there under the pine tree in the edge of the ditch. And of course, being a deer hunter, you take that nice, clean, ethical shot on a nice stopped target. Bam. And as soon as I shove that other shell in there, I walk up there and the next one starts to fly off. And I thought, well, I mean, the gun's loaded. Let's see what happens. And the second one falls down. Nice. And, And, uh, Dad's like, all right, we have grouse for dinner. It's not hot dogs or brats or burgers. Okay. And uh, I don't know if I shot another one on the wing for a couple of years after that. That was long before I had a dog. But I bet I was 17, 18 years old, something like that. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, so my first one was a ground spot off the track, and the other one I got as kind of mainly reflex. But uh, (laughs) Yeah, but if you think about it, like when we – uh, I I know for myself, and it's probably the same for you too, but what you're explaining, you know, when we were beginning grouse hunters, 
He didn't shoot a lot of them. No, no, and they're yeah, a big deal. They were a really, really big deal. You know, I started without dogs. I think I mentioned that in the last podcast that, I mean, I would tag along with my dad and my mom. She used to hunt and, you know, I was probably seven, eight, nine years old carrying a BB gun mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, learning about the woods, which is kind of what I've done with my kids is they tag along in the same thing. And then you progress and once you progress to your own, you know, and you start breaking off on your own, which sure as heck isn't a lot as it sure as heck isn't as easy as it was when you were with your old dad. You know, it almost seems like you you kind of got to learn your own way again. And and mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, where you think there's going to be grouse, they aren't or, you know, but sometimes you think you have a second sense or whatever. You're never fast on the shot. I mean, man, when you bring one home in those early days, that was a huge deal. That was, yeah. That was big stuff, man. Yep, yep. Every and and that's the funny thing about small game too is at a certain point you can say really every bird really was a trophy. Oh yeah, I I still I still believe they are. Yep, I still save all the tail feathers. I have every single one since 1984, I believe. <laughs> I'm not I'm not so good about saving them after I get them off the bird. Not a hoarder. Not a hoarder. Let me clarify that. I'm not a hoarder, but they're not labeled, cataloged in a file cabinet. They are uh in a Ziploc bag for each season labeled. Wow. I've got a Tupperware full of loose fans over here and I know I'll I'll probably give them away to some fly tires and you know, I know the a lady that was doing some hat decorations, she's going to get some of them again and uh I'll spread them around. You know, a lot of people can value them just by by getting a handful of them in a Ziploc bag through the mail. Yeah, right on. <laughs> but, uh, well, and we'll kind of get into the, the meat here of, of, of our call. Becoming Sounds a good. better becoming a better grouse hunter, kind of as the counterpoint to the listeners already knowing about uh, kind of trying to find that, that elite grouse dog. And then that's only half of the teamwork. The other half of the team is is us, the human. And yeah. uh, what is it? I guess what's the approach really? Where do you want to start? On how how would I go about beginning to become a grouse hunter? Well, uh, you know the the first thing you're going to do is buy a German short hair. No, just just kidding, right? <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Right? I I agree, right? Yeah. One of the most prevalent bird dogs in Michigan is the GSP. Um, you know, if you're going to become a grouse hunter, one of the things that, that, that that's a wonderful thing about small game is it just doesn't require. And I know we're going to talk about later about some of the things that you need, you know, to, to get into the sport or whatever, but it, you know, what it really requires is a, is a pair of shoes and, uh, a shotgun and a few shells and, <laughs> yes. you know, start exploring. Right. Yeah. And, the, and the thing is we have so much knowledge at our fingertip nowadays, fingertips nowadays to be able to kind of point us in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Like they have the, you know, the North wind maps with all the, the habitat on them or, or Michigan also has the MI hunt app. And then we've got these gems areas that, that basically take you right to the spot and give you a trail to walk through and everything else. Yep. 
Yeah. And those are all great things to start with, but it's grouse hunting is just not a very predictable sport per se. Right. Yeah. Like how many times you think, okay, I'm going to go hunt that Aspen stand cause grouse like Aspen and it's thick and it's in that perfect 10 year class. And you know, it, it's got some spruce in it. I think there's some food on the backside or whatever. And, you know, you go through that and you, you can go in through there with a good dog or whatever. And you come up with nothing and you're like, well, that kind of sucked. Right. That's hunting. And I'll tell you, if you want to be a better grouse hunter, when that happens to you, you don't leave that spot. Mm-hmm. You keep exploring. You keep exploring other areas around it and, and so on and so forth. And what I'm getting at, if you really want to get into the sport, have yourself a good set of legs, a good solid constitution to you that where you're not going to freak out if you don't have a lot of success. Um, you know, be relatively decent on the wing, even though us that practice a lot still suck at shooting birds but i mean you got to get out and explore right you have to have you know you you have to really get out out and explore and a little bit about you know my background per se to maybe help with this is i cut my teeth in northern wisconsin in then what was called the nicolay national forest which is now called the schwamigan national forest i believe and there were only certain areas uh, in the Nicolay at the time that, you know, would be considered like managed for upland birds, right? That's been the knock on national forests for years. I, I would say that in the, in the 80s, we had it a little bit better, but that was really kind of the tail end of it. Because by the time you came into the 90s, which is really where I spent, a, you know, a lot of uh, my post-military time, getting into getting back into grouse hunting and doing things was that you were doing it on this massive landscape of the Nicolay national forest. Right. And if you look at that, if you look at the Schwamigan national forest, I believe that's what it's called now. And look at like the Western half of the UP, right. We're talking about South of iron river, Michigan on the Wisconsin side was where, you know, I kind of did the hunting, but then you cross over and you look at that West end of the UP and that national forest. Tell me that's not no man's land. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's huge. I mean, that's probably like the biggest landscape that you can hunt anywhere in the state of Michigan. And it was the same back then in Northern Wisconsin, because it wasn't inundated by, you know, cabins and stuff like that. There's, they were all on the lakes and stuff. So you still had the national forest. And if you, if you wanted to get into birds, basically what my dad and I would do back then is we would walk those old logging roads. Right. And if you've ever been to the national forest on, in that part of the country, and it's quite similar in Minnesota. And I, I don't have a lot of experience downstate but the old logging road trail system like is goes on forever and ever and ever and there's all these old uh logging trails and skid trails back there and you know it made it a little bit easier not to get lost but it also made it easier because you could just go walk these trails and walk 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 and start putting together like when you were running into birds, right? Because mm-hmm. 
I don't care where you go. This would be a great beginning tip for uh, uh, a newer grouse hunter, young or old. Find yourself an old skid trail to walk. Because you and I both know that magic hour, like the last hour of the day when they're coming out on those old skid trails for gravel or whatever, mm-hmm. that's going to get you pointed in the right direction. So anyhow, we did all of this exploring in this vast landscape. And it used to be you would find patterns amongst those birds. Um, So in that large landscape, you would find like smaller little landscapes within them. And this could be, you know, in that part of the forest, there's a lot of old creeks, um, little swampy areas and tag alder runs. Uh, maybe adjacent to some pines or something. And all of a sudden you'd start paying attention and say, Hey, you know, that other trail we walked the other day had an area like this and we put up a few birds and then you, you know, you go to that, a spot similar to that. And then you start finding birds and you start Mm -hmm. piecing things together. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's back then it was a lot, a lot of walking and a lot of, you know, it was, the first bird contact or so was kind of like, oh, all right, that's cool. There's birds here. Now let's pay attention to what's here. And then we'll walk for a little more and you come upon the same area, maybe two miles down the road or something, and there's birds in it. You're like, okay, well, I'm starting to see a pattern here, right? <laughs> yep. But the best part about that was, as you know, because now you're a seasoned grouse hunter, that, that stuff changes every year, doesn't it? I yeah everything changes every year every single year it changes so you're (laughs) always growing but it's it really comes down to um just creating like having an awareness of paying attention to what is going on like Mm -hmm. you to be a grouse hunter you can't things can't happen on accident right you have to be paying attention to detail to almost every little thing that's going on. Yeah. I mean, it, it has the steepest learning curve of any other hunting involved. If you really, really want to be good at it, you have to pay attention to every little detail, right? Because your buddy could be like, well, uh, I'm finding birds in the, uh, you know, I was out on this section of the forest and the, you know, the birds were in the Aspen. Okay. So you find some Aspen and you go there, but, there aren't any birds, but what was in his Aspen area that he went to that weren't in yours. Right. So yep. now you find another Aspen stand that maybe has some conifers in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you find a couple of birds. All right. Well, maybe they need those conifers for roosting. And, you know, then you go to another area that's kind of similar, but then in addition to it, you know, adjacent to that, it has an older hardwood stand, but it's got a second story of like, hazelnut or something right oh, yeah. and all of a sudden you're finding birds and it's like if you're just walking through those areas and not paying strict attention to that kind of stuff you're going to completely miss out but if you're paying attention to oh all right so this little ingredient goes into the cake and this little ingredient goes into the cake and this little ingredient goes into the cake and per season when you start putting those things together you can you can really, really get better at that. And it all comes with experience um, and awareness. And I have a, just a, I had this uh, professor when I was in college. So 
I have I, my degree is in natural resource management, but I basically work in politics. I, I don't know how that ever happened, but um, <laughs> they let you into politics. Yeah, right. I had a um, forestry professor who is he's world renowned forestry professor. His name is Dr. Hans Schabel. He's since retired, but he would take us out in the forest. And his big thing was, you know, having awareness of the forest. And I, I think they, he called it the Bewusstsein für den Wald was the, the German word for it. And he was a forest entomolo uh, entomologist, right? So he was real big on bugs and diseases and things like that. So he mm -hmm. had to have really sharp attention to detail for these things. So he would take us into you know, a woodlot, and he'd say, well, you know, what do you see here? And you know, typical college students be like, I don't know. I, well, I see an aspen trees. I see an oak tree or whatever. And and I see a cherry tree or something. And he, then he'd point out on the cherry trees, well, it, what's this disease, you know? And all of a sudden, you'd look at it again and be like, how did I miss that? <laughs> and then he'd yep. walk over to, like, a birch tree and say, well, what's this disease on it? Or what bug is causing this? Or and all of those things were intertwined to the ecosystem as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. If you have cherry trees that have, what is it, that black rot of cherry or something on them, mm -hmm. they're not going to produce fruit, right? Or if you have a certain tree that has this disease, um, it's not going to produce the hazel or things like that. Yeah. Um, so paying that, that whole awareness of everything that's going on in that ecosystem like like woodcock hunting, right? Yeah. We're going to go to a wood area to hunt woodcock or a, a wet area to hunt woodcock. But what if that wet area has such um, acidic soil that it doesn't have earthworms or something? You know what I mean? Right, because then you're ending up pairing it up. You say, well, it's mushy over here. We got good, good water. And then you don't see any, like, say, red osier dogwood. Right. And you see some tamarack instead. Okay, right. well, things things aren't the same anymore. Yeah, exactly. The the pH level is different in this soil. There's probably not going to be earthworms, but and it really doesn't take an environmental education to do that. Yeah. It takes just walking and observing, right? Yep. I mean, like guys like you and I might have a little bit of advantage because of our environmental background. We might know some of the mechanics of the chemistry or some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But the average guy walking through there doesn't need to know that stuff. He just needs to be paying attention, right? Yeah. Yeah. You flush yeah. 10 woodcock out of a spot with red dogwood in it. You're going to remember yeah. that red plant for the rest of your life. Right. And if there's none where the tamaracks are at, mm -hmm. you're going to remember that too. Yeah. And that's the, it's just all about paying strict attention to detail. Yeah. And walking a lot. I'll probably repeat that like a hundred times. Like you've got to walk and you got to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. I have that in my notes for a bit later on too. Um, getting more into that part of it. Um, but, but sticking again with the awareness of the forest, we'll jump into a couple of my notes here. And that's the difference between cover and habitat. Um, we know this a bit more. Uh, some of us that pheasant hunted, especially here in Michigan, if you were going to find a wild Michigan rooster, there's a huge difference between I see a bunch of cover and I see a spot where there's going to hold some birds 
And, right. And then the grouse, it's really the same thing, only on a on a more temporary scale, depending on your time of year. And then, you know, stuff is always aging. Um, yeah, there's a, a couple of target. Ways. There's a couple of ways that I tend to look at that, that, you know, some people call it microhabitat. Um, I, I, I tend to call it the covert within the covert, mm -hmm. right? You and, and a good example, like we had, I had spoken earlier on a, say you have a, everybody wants to hunt. I'll relate to the Aspen because it's big here in the UP, right? You got 10 year old Aspen stand. Um, but just because it's 10 year old Aspen doesn't mean that it's going to be great habitat. Okay. <laughs> you look right. at it, as, this is a covert and it's 10 year old Aspen, but that doesn't mean it's going to be great habitat. What compo what's the composition of the rest of it? Okay. Cause there's a lot of term, there's a lot of times, um, with, um, you'll have like a 10 year Aspen stand and it'll have nothing but grass in the bottom of it. Right. I know mm -hmm. you've seen those before. Oh yeah. Horrible. You're not, you're not going to see a living thing in there. No. You might see a mouse. A whitetail walks through it on the way to somewhere else. Right. Right. But you got to think about habitat versus cover mm -hmm. in the, in terms of a cover is something that looks appealing habitat is something that is appealing appealing for an animal because it had all the requirements that they need to live okay mm -hmm. it's going to have places to hide it's going to have for grouse a place to roost at night and then they're going to ha also have to be able to eat in there and it's also going to have to have escape routes i mean we're, we're talking about animals that we, we were talking earlier, right before we started the podcast about, you know, animals that only live a couple of years, right? But they sure outsmart you. Well, yeah. the reason they do that is because they're, they're programmed to survive and they need all of those things in that habitat to survive. So if you take a 10 year old Aspen stand and it just has grass on the bottom of it, marginal, anything else, that's not really habitat, but you take that same, same 10 year old Aspen stand. Okay. And when they logged it, they left some spruce trees in there that birds can roost in. And then they left some snags laying there mm -hmm. and some, some brush laying there. And it's hard to walk through. And you have a bunch of, uh, of undergrowth from like, typically you see a lot of raspberries. Um, yeah. Southern Michigan gets a lot of raspberry cane. Yeah. You get the, the raspberry canes, the blackberry canes, um, and it's hard as heck to walk through and it looks really, really dense. And, mm -hmm. and then you would also look for, you know, if there's some, maybe some skid trails going in or out, there's probably some clover stuff like that. When they yep. reseeded it, you know, that's a habitat. That's yeah. something that an animal can be born in, can travel in, can hide in, can escape from. And, you know, get its food and all. It's, it's kind of like a house for a human being, right? Yep. Only it may be a summer house or it could be a winter house. Correct. Right. Yeah, because they, they, they do change by seasons. Right. So so those same little spruces that we want to see in the middle of this cover, right? Because we've, through our experience, we know that that little pine right there is usually the golden ticket. And you get over there by it. But in the early season, it might have been great shade. But now that it's mid-season... 
the food source isn't quite right for this area. So they're yep. a quarter mile down the road. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, that really gets into the, the walking and awareness part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can take a great habitat area and only a certain time of year, it's going to be really, really good. And then they're going to be on to something else. And then they're going to be on to something else. And then during all of that going on, they have their dispersion, right? Mm-hmm. During the fall where they're trying not to, you know, end up like clampets or inbreed or whatever. Um, and then you throw us into the mix, kicking them all over the place, right? Yep. <laughs> and then they do. They, they, they jump from, from habitat to habitat. And that's the key is finding out. You want to be better. You got to find out what that secondary and the tertiary habitat is, okay? Because mm-hmm. the secondary habitat is the one that they're going to move to based upon the season. But the tertiary stuff is is the one that they're going to move to when they're getting overrun. Hmm. And I find that quite a bit up here. And it is, it's it's really amazing when you find it because, man, people will be saying, geez, there just aren't a lot of grouse this year. And, you know, you're lying like hell. You're just like, yeah, I know, it kind of sucks. And you're hoping <laughs> they don't see the three birds you got in the back of your bag, you know, because you... <laughs> You put the time in to learn where that tertiary escape cover is at. And every time you go in there, you're cranking out like 10 birds every 45 minutes or something. <laughs> I haven't quite got to that part yet. <laughs> I got the lying down pat. Let's not get around that part. That that just comes with the territory. If, if you're in the UP and somebody asks you, oh, you see any birds lately? The answer is no. <laughs> yes. Correct. Oh no, it's it's been tough walking. You know, we've we've put in a good ten miles on us. The dogs are beat. We were chased by bears and wolves and mountain lions. We barely got out of it with our lives. And there's feathers yeah. falling out of your vest. And I've learned over time that the local youpers, all you have to do is blame it on the DNR, and they will. <laughs> and that that's you know, if somebody asks you, seeing birds, no, damn DNR. And and they'll if it's somebody from out of state, they'll think you're a local for sure. Because that's all the locals talk about is it's DNR's fault. Yep. Oh wow. I that's the that's probably the best diversion you could just about throw out there. Oh yeah, because then you get them talking about something totally different. Yeah, yeah. And then next thing you know, they tell you something else, too, especially if it's another local. Oh yeah. Yeah. They will. Oh, yeah. You know, just the other year, you know, they were up there at the gravel pit. And you're like, exactly. Because you've now you've now established the fact that you hate the DNR. Right. Right. And so whether they wanted. I mean, I don't hate the DNR. They're good friends of mine, but they don't need to know that. Right. I mean, all those cuts there, those are magical, right? The DNR has nothing to do with that pile worth of cutting. Yeah. Of course, (laughs) if you talk to the local, the DNR did it wrong. (laughs) As long as the trees come down. I didn't know there was a, not a wrong way to cut them. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's the the thing about developing. And I'm, you know, a good way to say it is developing into a grouse hunter because you can be overwhelmed with information, especially nowadays. Like you said, between the different hunting resources available on where to where to see a cover, where to find one you know, just based on the digital maps and satellites and stuff like that into 
you know, podcasts like this one and a lot of others talking about habitat, talking about aspen and pines and and then we and then we say, but it's always a moving target. So it is. You're gonna get two, three, four years out of a spot, and if you're better t- note taker than I am, and you you're recording your flush counts, you're gonna start to notice that spot's already starting to dry up a little bit, uh, much like I'm seeing with some of my woodcock territories. Um, and then all of a sudden you start to wonder about it, and well, it's time to start putting 450 a gallon gas into the truck now, because well. Right. It's time to go. It's time to go find that one that's on year number one of being prime. So you're back in there again, trying to learn the next thing. And goodness, between the the details, you'll always miss details. There's too well. There's too much to learn. Too too immense an amount of of information. You know, you're gonna you're gonna shoot a bird if you're new. You're gonna well for one you're going to celebrate for quite a while and then you're going to say well i wonder about the crop or you maybe right. you still have to learn about the crop and so you're going to pull open the crop and if you're lucky it's full and if you're really unlucky it's empty and so then the detail is this bird hadn't eaten yet you know the right and even with the crops right mm-hmm. think about like sometimes you cut open a crop and you find like mushrooms in there like i've had that happen before a lot mushrooms really you're like well there's mushrooms everywhere you know what i mean hunt the northern lower you can't go 10 feet without a mushroom through some good cover right (laughs) you're like it's eating mushrooms you're like well i'm not sure this helps me right yeah oh it's got wild strawberry leaves or it has clover leaves or it has other little greenery in there and then you look around and realize that you're walking on a pile of food for the last quarter mile right and i think that's the one thing that you know one thing about habitat or covers that a a newer grouse hunter could learn is as the season progressive progresses and you get into second half of October to the first week of November. If you see an area that's still green, go hunt it. I don't care what's there. Mm-hmm. If the if the stuff on the ground is still green, get in there. Yep. They definitely they definitely find their way to that. And that I think that has a lot to do with the uh like my early days of walking those logging and skid trails. You know, they typically have the green stuff, the strawberry or the or the clover or stuff on them that, yep. you know, that stuff tends to stay green a little bit longer. So if, you know, if they're eating hazel dogwood or, you know, whatever it may be, aspen buds, you know, whatnot, but then to get kicked around a little bit in the fall and all of a sudden you might get a first frost or something like that, but they're, those little skid trails and stuff are still green. That's money. Always is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Once, and I don't, I haven't been able to get out into the December season yet, but I can only imagine it at this point because done some later in November hunting and it's the same thing. When all the leaves are down, that, that rule of thumb was when you look at it and you say, man, it's just almost too thick to hunt. That's when you really need to grab a few extra shells and get in there. Right. And, and then you start to get the leaf drop and you realize that all those thick spots you thought were thick before are all condensing slowly down into smaller and smaller areas 
and all that's doing is it's concentrating your gross. Well, as long as you're not too tempted to go sit in a tree stand during peak rut, you know, end of October, early November, mm-hmm. those birds all kind of got boiled down into a spot that now when you hit one, it's going to hit the lottery. That's right. And you can see, you can finally shoot straight. <laughs> right. Up until then, you listen to them in the green leaves and you wonder what you're doing out there. Yeah, but you, know? you always shoot, right? That's what I tell my guide clients. You're not, you're not paying me to just point your gun. You better pull that trigger. As long can, as it's safe, you got to shoot. You it, can't kill a yep. grouse if you don't shoot. If you can see a blur, those seven and a halves will get there. Yes, they will. <laughs> and with a dog, too. I mean, that's, I, there's that fine line in ethical shooting where, man, if I shoot and make this shot even, I have one horrible time trying to figure out where that bird is. Right. And then, of course, you have a short hair there sitting next to you. You're like, no, I make this shot. I have that bird. Yeah, we're good. They'll find it. Now, Depending course, on which short hair it is, it might come back with half a bird, but, you know, we're still good. <laughs> I think I've come back with more tail fans with my short hair, which isn't saying much, than than the setter here. The first, really? I've lost a couple of tails. I think it's mainly because he tries to retrieve him, and his big paw is just on the tail. And he's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, and, and I'll always talk about, we take those loose tail fan feathers, and those are for the Buckeyes. We're hunting public land. We're glad <laughs> you're in our state spending money. But just in yeah. case you wonder what they look like, guys, here's a tail feather. <laughs> right. What you got to do is you take those, this might be a little youper trick too, but you like take those tail feathers, mm-hmm. and you go to like the most god-awful no-grouse spot, and dump those tail feathers there, make it look like you parked there and got some birds. <laughs> I'm gonna have to remember is that, that one. Is that unethical or? Well, I mean, I think we've already went like, over that you the the first response to any question is lie. Yeah. So at that point, this is just an extension of of our first principle of youper grouse hunting. Yeah, exactly. Not not to say that you know. It, all joking aside on the, the lying, right? There's there's certain times when I know most of the hunters, at least I know whether on social media or that I've met in, in person, will go out of their way to help um, somebody new. As long as you don't ask something so specific um, that we would just be out of our minds to answer the question. Right. You know, we can we can talk all day about how to become a better hunter, how to show you better habitat, how to make you see things when you drive by and you say, nope, that'll be a dud, you know, like the grass under the aspen. And then you look right. over at the other thing and it's so loaded with gray dogwood. You're like, I don't know if I want to walk through that. Yep, I need to go walk through that. There's... Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, though. The, the, the new grouse hunter is never going to learn that unless they get out and walk it and experience mm-hmm. that type of thing, right? Yeah, that pain. Also, one of my, my dog training mentor, um, he always used to tell me, you know, the difference between dog trainers and a guy with a dog, dog trainers made more mistakes, which means we, we've done more of it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And that's really what it is. It's it, Grouse hunting is, is some serious OJT, right, on-the-job training. <laughs> right. Yeah. And – there won't be a time when you stop learning. There's no, especially if you're so interested in details. 
oh, I, I learn something new every single time I go out. And I learn it because now I'm paying attention, right? You, you mm-hmm. pay attention a lot more. Yeah. And then you throw a dog in the mix and then you start work, worrying about humidity and and dampness and dryness and yeah, scenting uh, conditions and wind scenting and, conditions, wind, all of that stuff. And right. We went over it with Scott too about the body language. Okay, now yeah. now there's a hundred word vocabulary that your dog's trying to tell you with the angle of his head and his tail and his posture. Right. And and you don't speak dog very well until you're a trainer. Right. Yep. Yeah, there's there's a lot in there, but again, and this this always comes down to a couple of things. There's some quick and fast rules of thumb. If if it's so thick, you're like, you know, I'm not sure if I want to. That's when you should say to yourself, yes, that's where we're yeah. definitely going. That's um, mandatory. If it looks like it hurts, that's mandatory. At least on the edges, you know. Yeah. The nice thing with a dog is, okay, I can find the one somewhat maybe on a good day easy path through here and the dog will do the harder work and if you don't have a flush in 20 minutes i know where the truck is but and i'll tell you the whole dog aspect if if somebody truly wanted to be a better grouse hunter man get yourself a dog Mm -hmm. i learned i hunted for gosh i bet i hunted for 14 years without a dog. And, you know, you think, well, the guy that hunts without a dog has got to be a hardcore grouse hunter because he learns more. I learned more in the first two seasons with my first dog than I did a 14 years of pounding the woods. (laughs) Because that dog is, uh, now you got to do the right thing with the dog, right? Mm -hmm. You got to put a piece of duct tape over your mouth and follow the dog. And let the dog show you. If you get a well-bred dog and you do the right things with them that people have talked about on the other podcasts or upcoming ones about how to get it started and get it into birds and stuff, yeah, that dog will teach you more than you and I can talk about on this podcast. Yep, because they'll show you where you're right and you're wrong. You're going to park the truck. You're gonna, this is the cover guy. We're going to find birds. And then about 30 minutes into it, he looks back at you like, you idiot. Right. We're going this way. Right. I I learned that the, the hard way a little bit with GPS now. Man, my dog always ranges 100 yards and in. Nice, comfortable, not a big deal. And all of a yeah. sudden, he's pinballing out to 2, 250. Like, why are you going way over there? And then you realize you haven't had a flush yet in front of you. Oh. Right, yeah. Because you're telling me I shouldn't be here. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> But it took me about seven years on the first dog to really figure that part out. Not a big detail I picked up on. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's human nature, though. We get dogs. We think we're smarter than dogs, right? <laughs> Until you get three or four. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. naturally we're like, man, I read this book by Walter's gun dog, man, my first dog. He says, I'm, I'm smarter than this damn dog. I'm going to tell this dog, I'm going to have me a robot. I'm going to show him where the birds are. Yep. That's not the way to go about it. <laughs> I, I know where the textbook said there should be a bird. Right. But yeah, that was two exactly. years ago before the cover aged up and the grass took over and there's no ferns and there's no food. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. 
<laughs> um, uh, here's a here's a statement my dad always uses, and I'm going to throw it in here too. And he has a variation of this one because he does use it for new people, and that's I don't want to be caught and eaten. We have we have a bird here. Of course, we're going to focus on the rough grouse in the mm-hmm. Great Lakes region. We have a bird that lives maybe at the max five five years, probably less, much less. You know, ten percent right. might make it to five. Right. And you're then trying to outwit or outwork their survival instincts. <laughs> right. Good luck. And well, that's why we count flushes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they're they're good enough to get away from sharp shins, Cooper's hawks, ground predators, everything else. And you're going to come through with a dog that you think you're smarter than. Right. And and try to do better than a 365-day-a-year predator. Yeah, exactly. And But that should, you know, that that's a great way to explain it. That should really resonate with people. It's like, you know, because a lot of people think, a lot of people think these grouse are almost like fool's hands, right? People that don't hunt them are like, well, I, I've oh, yeah. seen on YouTube, these people just shoot them off the side of the road with a twenty-two. <laughs> yeah. There is a mesmerizing sound to a four-wheeler, evidently. Apparently so. You know, they, they can be dumb on the side of the road every now and then, but I'll tell you, up here in the UP, they're not. They're... They don't live long on the side of the road. No, they're they're used to being hunted on the side of the road, so the whole Darwinism thing has took over. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're whacking one on the side of the road, you're doing the gene pool a favor. Right, right. You're you're well, you're you're picking on the slow kids at that point, aren't you? Kinda. Yeah. They didn't should, learn quick enough. Should feel you know? sorry. You should feel bad for that. But, uh, and. And even now, it's like, you know, you, you look at it and you're like, I, I should go try to make this thing flush. The second you get out of the truck, there's, I don't know, there's something about it. Like, there's a difference between you're in first gear and you're in park. That bird already knows to make 40 yards off the trail, get into something you can't see through. By the yeah. time you get out with your gun, whether you grab a dog or you don't, you might as well just go back to the truck, go to the next cover. But, yeah. But remember, you saw one there. For some reason, that's where that bird wanted to be. And actually, you know, that if it is, this is a kind of a good learning moment for a, for a newer grouse hunter. Because like you said, if you see that, pay attention to that cover. But yet, if it's public land, better yet, park the truck, shut it off, and go work, go follow that bird and see where he takes you. Mm-hmm. And he might he might take it to a really good spot. Now, this is a anecdotal, but up here uh, I call those birds volunteers, <laughs> right? And so whenever we get a volunteer, and if I have a young puppy, and so much of the land is public up here, if if we get a volunteer, and I know Perry and Dave have been with me before, we get a volunteer, man, we park the truck and put that dog down, and. We just go for a walk and let that dog go get a snootful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ever work out where the dog like points the, you know, your four month old puppy goes in there is staunch on point. You kill the bird. I mean, that's, uh, that's found in uh, fiction novels. That's, that's right? magazine articles. Right. <laughs> yeah. Project Upland film. <clears throat> but oh, I couldn't make it through the whole podcast. I, you've <laughs> made it 45 minutes without an F-bomb. I'm rather uh, proud of you myself. Oh, uh, I know. We're not gonna we're not gonna get that rating again, I told myself. No. Oh, um no. 
<laughs> but really, you think about that, those volunteers, uh, that's why I call them volunteers, because if you follow them, oh, yeah. they're usually going to take you somewhere that you need to see. Yep. Yeah, Judas birds. Yep, because they're, they're be passing ch- through for a reason, right? Those, yep. They do move throughout the day. And where do you always see those? Like, I always see the volunteers when I'm driving through like a 50-year-old thinned out maple stand that looks like a biological desert. And you come around the corner on the gravel and all of a sudden you see a grouse sitting there and you're like, really? What is he doing here? Then you go follow him and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, check this out. Look what I found down here. Yep. Same and with he takes it to his friends. Same with balsam. You get into some yep. older balsam and all of a sudden you're like, why did this thing cross the road right here? This is, this is wide open. I can see for 80 yards underneath these trees. Right. And, and off, yeah. And it's off to the races too. Usually it's a hundred yards off the road and running by the time you get anywhere near it. But yeah, you're like, all right, well pull up the map. find out what's here. Go park somewhere. Yeah. No, there is the chance that you find one of these on the road, you pull into that parking area and it's the only one around. And for some reason you're going to spend an hour chasing after this ghost bird. That's such a rare occurrence, though. It's It's been my experience that if you follow those volunteers, they're there for a reason. Hmm. You know, they didn't they didn't get flushed from a mile away. Yep. I mean, they're <laughs> they may be in that cover, but like we talked about earlier, their habitat is somewhere close by. Yep. Yep. I got into one of those where we we parked. We walked up to the next little turnaround area, flushed one out of the parking lot there missed and then spent the next hour and a half all through the back edge of this it was a very large full of blowdowns kind of clear cut i'm not sure why there were more trees laying down than probably harvested and we finally get almost all the way back out to the trail i'm like all right the truck is this way i know soon turn around and i flush one off the edge of the trail again and i thought i just suffered for two hours right Climbing over deadfalls to get to here just to have one blow up next to the gravel. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> That's what makes you come back. It, it's kind That's of. A... I was just going to say the same thing. Makes you come back for more. <laughs> but I'm coming back on the trail. <laughs> <laughs> That's a 10 minute hunt if I don't go into the back corners where there wasn't anything. <laughs> but now the, the next, the flip side of that is the next time I go back, I'll walk the trail. D-man over here will take off a 100-yard cast, 200-yard cast, and go on point in the middle of that mess, and he'll hold that thing solid until I'm almost all the way there. There you go. <laughs> I won't win any way I look at it. Yeah, but it's worth the effort. It is. That's the thing it that is. a new, you know, that's the one thing that a new grouse hunter has to understand. If you're stubborn and you like to do hard things. Like before I got into grouse hunting, I was a musky fisherman. You want to talk about pounding your head against a wall, especially in Wisconsin where you can't troll. Mm. There's no motor trolling in Wisconsin, right? If you're going to fish for musky, you're going to cast baits all day long. So you have to be stubborn and you have to like the suck. So if you're that type of person, we uh we'd love to have you on the grouse hunting team, right? <laughs> um, and now that we've we've more or less told everyone that if you're gonna hunt grouse, you're gonna suffer. 
there's two things I have written down here for the newer grouse hunter, and two, that's the one where the, they say the, the bigger, you know, maybe information is the barrier of entry, which considering the proliferation of in, info, I can't believe that for a second, but I have on here in my notes, willingness to fail. Yeah, that's a big one. If you just want to, I had that happen to me. I was, well, for one, I was carpooling because my truck broke down. And Mm -hmm. so we had been overrun by Buckeyes and most of our normal covers for camp. And so I, I, we drove by the spot probably twice. And finally, the next morning after breakfast, dropped me off at one end of this. It's, It's probably three quarters of a mile strip cover, not that far off a two track. And it runs the edge of the two track. Like, drop me off at one end. I'll finally meet up with you somewhere. Throw one of my collars on one of your dogs. I'll figure out where you're at. And mm-hmm. so sure enough, I mean, this this just looks like it's got to hold birds. And a half a mile later, Scout's looking back at me like, you idiot. <laughs> not, a, not a thing through there. I mean, I had a nice walk. I, had a, I smoked my pipe. My gun was over. My arm broke open because clearly there was nothing to do but look at trees. You know, had a nice walk. And I learned that right then, that portion of the day or that portion of the season, they weren't there. Right. But I looked through everything else. I saw the dogwoods. I saw the pines. I had older aspen, uh, which I had learned is still a good food source, but not right then. And then I get all the way back to this, and I see the guys parking the trucks up ahead of me. And I know sooner just about get to them, and I bust one going the wrong direction. And I'm like, well, okay. I had took a nice walk. I learned. Unfortunately, my flush counter said one at the very end of that whole thing. Right. <laughs> but, but you know what? Yeah. If you weren't, if you weren't willing to fail. Now, I look at willing to fail when it comes to trying new spots, right? Oh yeah. Because you'll find, as a young grouse hunter, you will stumble upon some birds, mm-hmm. and you're gonna want to go back to that spot, right? Oh, you yeah. want to go to, you're going to want to have success and that's I won't even get into how like everybody gets a trophy type thing right <laughs> but we are seeing more and more that <laughs> up and comers generally have to have success to have a good time you can't be like that you can't keep going back to that one spot you have to be willing to fail because You'll never find the other spot if you don't take the chance to go walk at something that might look marginal or, you know what I mean? You have to be able to explore. And in order to explore, you have to be willing to fail and understand that, okay, at that one spot, I maybe flush two birds an hour. But if I go to this one, I might flush two birds total over a three hour walk. And, but you're going to learn from it, but who knows? You might get to the backside of it and you might find like, a covey of seven in there in the middle of October that nobody's busted up yet. Cause you're the first one to find it. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be frantic. You'll be, you'll not be focused. Your head will be off your stock. You'll empty that Mossberg out. And the only thing you got to show for it is, Oh my God, I found seven. Right. And it'll be flush a great, count. it'll be a great day. <laughs> Get that flush counter out, put it up to seven. That's that's right. Get that, put that one on the gram. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I, and, and I can joke about it. I like to see people's success. You know, the, the idea on Instagram or Facebook or anywhere else, you know, by all means, post those great days. I think it does our sport a lot of good when people, yeah, I think it does too. especially when 
you know, that, that tasteful picture of the, the flesh counter draped over the gun, which means clearly there's no birds to show for it because there's no birds in the picture. You're just like, I know exactly what that feels like. But you know what, though? I appreciate that so much more than some picture of a bird or two with some bullshit fabricated story about how uh, Sir Macbeth, I came around the corner and Sir, Mac Sir Macbeth was locked up solid on a point and I could see the, the, the dew rising from, you know, the heat rising off of him and I stepped in front of him. He was completely broke and the bird flushed and I, I got it on a 60 yard, you know, going away shot. It, that bullshit. With a 16 know? gauge. Sterling. Right. Worth. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget the, the, the 16 gauge Fox. <laughs> I, poor Cass. He shoots a 16 gauge Fox too. <laughs> oh, oh, he's, he's good for it though. We, we tease him enough already, but yeah, there's, you know, there are times where even if I, I did write an article like that, I try to stay kind of truthful. But, you know, we've just preached for 40 some minutes on how to how to keep your eye out for all those details. And then when someone writes the story, we're like, yeah, that's that's not probably how it happened. You know, that pointing dog jumped in there like a Labrador and you shot it anyway. I mean, I love those stories. We like reading the old stuff, you know, oh, absolutely. About the dog on point and all that kind of thing. But all I'm saying is all you. All you uh, social media enablers or whatever they call them. I don't know. The hash browns, hashtags or whatever. <laughs> right? I like both of those. Leave that stuff for Gene Hill. Oh, he was Even though he's gone now. You know what I mean? Oh. But let's, let's, you know, there are people out there that make a living doing that stuff. And they, they're really, really good at it. Like Tom Davis's books yep. are so underrated, man. They don't get enough credit for some of his books. No, there's, I, and at the same time, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not sure which authors actually embellished any of their stories, but we idolize almost all of them to the point where, oh no, no, I mean, every time Corey Ford wrote, that's exactly what happened. Right. Well, I wasn't there, so I'm gonna believe him, but whether it's Macintosh I have here or how many of these other authors, you know, Bert Spiller. I'm sure he would hate to be questioned on the veracity of his his dog's pointing and and how his stories really came out. But right, we, I guess once once you're dead, we we can't call you a liar. Right, right. <laughs> and it was also a different time though with Burton Spiller. I mean, he could probably go in the woods with a slingshot and come home with seven grouse. <laughs> right, and probably collect the stones he used from the from him. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not like the yeah, grouse were pretty abundant back then. And, you know, it's it probably like hunting woodcock with a dog. Oh, <clears throat> and that's something I like to do. But then again, yeah, I'm looking forward to banding this year, although I think it's going to be late for us. We still got about 40 inches on the ground. Up until this afternoon, I had grass in my yard. Most of my yard was bare here. And then it snowed like mad the last couple hours. Really? And I bet we got a couple inches again on the ground. But uh, forecast looks like it. That, that first warm-up, we probably had some birds around. Some guys were talking about it. Okay. And so we're going to see some under the pines or where they can hang out for now. But by Monday, we're looking at 50s again. 
good. And they they'll be here, you know. And yeah, there's a there's a bander not too far from me, newly newly certified bander. So awesome. I know I get the sky dance behind the house, so we're gonna get his dogs in here and see if we can't find a hen on a nest. Well, if there's a dancer, if there's a singer, there's a supposedly by the book, there's a hen on a nest within a hundred yards. Good. I should have enough property available here. But uh yeah, they come right out behind the garden. Usually they dance right there in what cool stuff, isn't it? I could sit out there about every night once they do it. In fact I try to finish my chores just before dark on purpose. And then nice. yeah, stand there, listen, try to see him in the sky, see how close I can get. Oh yeah. Yep. But they're there's something else and I'm I have an affinity for them, and I like the way they. I actually, being a duck shooter, I like the way they taste. So, not bad. I, I'll I'll choose not to opine on that. <laughs> well, maybe this fall I'll, I'll make my special cherry bourbon glazed woodcock. You might you might think of yeah. them more like a steak when you're done. Well, I hey, I eat them, and you know, but uh, they're they're not grouse. They're not grouse exactly. Yep. They are not gross. Yep, yep. Um, since we've more or less picked on all the people who throw out the, and I'll put this in air quotes, the ideal anything, my notes in here say, avoid the ideal anything BS. True. And this goes against, it's completely true, and it goes against a bunch of me. I love my high-end gun. I wear my goofy little cap. <laughs> you know, I, I now have a couple of articles of pike gear. You know, I'm just sure. just pick which elitist thing you want. And I'm not saying that Brent is an elitist. Brent's a down-to-earth business guy. Um, no, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, yeah. But uh, but me, on the other hand, I'm, I'm the picture-perfect snob. That doesn't mean that I don't go hunting with my dad who shoots a black spray painted camo escort 12 gauge with a slug barrel attached right <laughs> and he won't pick up his satori because he shoots the escort so nicely hey he's getting out and doing it he is <laughs> and, and he's not wrong he shoots that that plastic gun awfully well good <laughs> yeah um and like you were saying too what do you, what do you need you need shoes you need a gun you need some shells and go right back to it, the willingness to fail. You know what? When I first moved up to the UP, I would go grouse hunting right after work. So I would literally keep my shotgun in my truck. I would leave Marquette. I'd get back down to home station here. And I would go grouse hunting in my khakis, work shirt, and loafers and i put an orange hat on because only orange hat is required and i'd mm -hmm. load up that shotgun and i'd go take a walk that <laughs> was all i needed to grouse hunt now i would recommend a little bit more if you want to get started okay mm -hmm. you talk about guns you really don't need anything other than a 20 gauge yep. and Whatever preference you want, pump guns are great. I hunted with pump guns for years. Once you actually shoot with an over and under or a side-by-side -side with two triggers, you'll come to appreciate that for grouse hunting a little bit more. Um, 
and there is a method to that madness because it's easier to to bust off two shots. I've never been a real big fan of semi-auto, but there's nothing wrong with that either, as long as you remember to have your plug in it, just like you would with a pump. Mm-hmm. But I think the 20 gauge is a is a really is a really good gun because it's not it's not incredibly heavy, and most 20 gauges you get aren't going to have ridiculously long barrels on them. You know, most of the 12 gauges you buy nowadays, unless you're specifically looking for a, you know, a, a prototypical quote unquote grouse gun, well, you're looking at longer barrels on them, and yeah. that kind of gets in the way. So you know, if you can find yourself a decent 20 gauge, that's a good start. Not to say that, I mean, I got a 12 in the cabinet that I've grouse hunted with that's got a full-length barrel on it, and it's a Benelli. It's a it's an auto. Mm-hmm. If that's the only gun you have, that's what you hunt with. Don't don't go buy another one just because you want to try grouse hunting. I've right. noticed that if I was going to hang up in a branch or in, on a tree or anything else, that Benelli will hang up every bit as many times as my short side-by-side 20 gauge will and i haven't noticed one doing it more than the other that's a good point you know and with a 12 gauge what i like about well for one it's a lightweight i wouldn't run out there with an eight pound 12 gauge but if that's the gun you have take a few extra breaks you know yeah that's the gun you have that's the one you hunt with cylinder bore throw in some old trap loads because that's more than enough power oh yeah just just get out and try it yeah, and it and it would help to have yourself a good pair of boots. And nowadays, yeah, you know, most of the people that are going to be interested in grouse hunting probably already have a pair of hiking boots anyhow. Yep. You know, whether you got some Merrells or, you know, whatever it is, you've probably got a pair of those. You can wear those. Yep. Um, good old pair of blue jeans is all you need. Yeah. Um, make sure you wear a long sleeve shirt, you know, and have the appropriate color. And, and Maybe get yourself a little game hide game fest or something. You know, it doesn't got to be big. It doesn't have to be fancy. I mean, right. shit, I think for years that I hunted, everything I hunted with I could get at Fleet Farm. And I, I still think that holds true today, right? I don't know I, that they have Fleet Farms downstate, but it's a, it's kind of a Wisconsin thing. I and, still hunt uh, in TSC khakis. There you go. 15 bucks a pair. There you go. That's all you need. Yep. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. they're they're tan, they're green, they're gray, they're lightweight. So earlier in the September, early October, they're not overly heavy. You get mm-hmm. you get north enough, you don't even need chaps really, because by the time I got past up into actually northern country, I didn't really have much for thorns and briars. Okay, you can hunt pretty well without needing chaps, you know, even then. And then as it gets a little colder, yeah, a pair of Wranglers from Sears or Roebuck or whatever. You know, yeah. back back when I got jeans, it was still Kmart. And you'd be better off for your feet. You'd be better off investing in a good pair of merino wool socks. Yeah. Than you would overdoing it on on boots. Mm-hmm. The socks are go way way further than than the boots until later on. Yep. If you have an old pair of work boots, because most you know either you work with your hands or you work with your, you know, with your suit and tie somewhere, right? It, Yep. Yeah. Any old pair of work boots will also get the job done. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it's, it. Yeah. There. Yeah, the bear. The barrier of entry really is a cheap old shotgun and enough clothes to not be naked. Exactly. And and the willingness to fail and keep trying. Yep. That's why you know I. 
we could go on and we could have, I have probably have a whole episode talking about my thoughts on barriers to entry, but we won't go there tonight. <laughs> At some right? point I will. Cause the only thing that's stopping people is themselves. Yeah. Yeah. There's a six inch barrier of entry. Yep. Between the left exactly. ear and the right ear. It, that's the, that's really the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, as long as you believe you can, or even, yeah, that go back to willingness to fail. I yeah. Don't... Or just willingness to try. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a lot of people will help you. It's not like we're going to tell people, oh, just, uh, you know, just look for Aspen. If, you know, Google a picture of Aspen and then drive around until you find some. Um, there's... The thing is that that whole, you know, stigma that, Grouse hunters are snobs and don't help people. No, no. Grouse hunters on Facebook that deal with people who just get on Facebook and want to be lazy and ask for places to hunt. Yeah, we're going to be snobs and we're going to tell you to pack sand. But if you're truly interested in wanting to hunt, I guarantee you, you can find somebody that will help you. Oh, yeah. There's there's what there's probably 20 different upland groups just in michigan alone as right. far as in the social media thing that focus on michigan or if you go to the great lakes region as a whole you know there if you ask for pictures of what cover should look like you're going to get pictures of good covers probably even a guy's best cover i mean clearly there won't be any gps coordinate attached to it but no but they're going to show you pictures of it and oh, that's absolutely. one of the things like on my kennel Facebook page, most of the time what you see pictures of are the habitat I'm hunting in. Mm -hmm. And that, I kind of do that as a reminder for myself as well. Like, yeah. I'm trying to pay it forward a little bit for people who are paying attention, right? Yeah. If you're paying attention, you be like, why the hell is Stackwitz just posting pictures of trees and stuff? <laughs> well. There's a dead bird laying in there a second ago. <laughs> that's that's what I'm hunting in, right? As the season goes on. Yeah. And it's not going to give you a location, but it's going to give you an idea. And I'm trying to pay it forward for the thinkers. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I, I came across an idea a while ago too. And, and part of it was, I noticed my covers were aging. If you were to give up a spot, my theory is this. If you get a spot where you've used it up until the point where it's prime and now it's just getting into subprime, right? You probably have, what, three, four years left on a cover at that point? Yeah. I can give that one away. You sure can. And the Absolutely. only reason is because you have two things. You can either learn to scout or in four years you're not a grouse hunter anymore. Fact. <laughs> you know, you can go in there, you pound that thing, and you realize that it was ten birds to seven birds to four birds. And that fourth year, it was one bird. And now, okay, we we showed you how. You're either yeah. you're either back to hunting the rut for for deer, or you know, get in the truck. It's time to go, you know. And uh, I found that's one of those where it's like, okay, you know what? If I'm going to give one up, I can I can give you a essentially a, a lesson there. Sure. Know? Um, and I have a couple of those that, you know, once, 
I have my own names for them, but once they get past a certain point, they become what I call a chamber of commerce cover. Yep. And then the chamber of commerce ones are the, the ones that if I, and I've done this before, I'll see some guys up here. The last year it was a couple guys from Virginia and it was like a father and son. And you could see they were struggling, you know, and I stopped to talk to them and they said, yeah, you know, we're just having a hard time. And, trying to get it figured out and stuff, you know, and they, they weren't, you could just tell, you know, you can judge people, right. We're not supposed yeah. to judge the book fights cover, but we all know how to judge people. Right. <laughs> yeah. And those guys like that, I'm like, Hey man, go here, give them, throw them one of those chamber of commerce covers, yep. you know, go have a good time. It's easy to do when they're from Virginia. Yeah. If they're right. from, if they're from St. Ignace, <laughs> haven't seen yeah. a bird all day. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and that is true though you know um the the big worry is someone's going to poach the cover or then you know they're gonna and and that's kind of that double-edged sword you you know full well that some of these guys are going to give them that chamber of commerce cover two weeks later nine friends are going to show up and you're like well i gave them the right cover yep but maybe there's nine more people who want to keep trying that's true. And and so then it's like, well, I, I don't want to give them a, a not quite prime yet, but, you know, you're not, you well, literally you are a guide service. So my dad's thing is I'm not your guide service. You, you're going to have to do your own work. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, I, you know, I got, I got the whole, I got to walk that fine line, right? Of like. Mm -hmm. Hey, I know that guy. He gave us a cover one time. He's super nice. Maybe we'll book with him and go hunting one time, you know, versus the versus the guys that I have to hide my truck from because they're they're stalking me the whole time they're up here. Right. And then just to make things better, you you post a nice Instagram picture on your tailgate. So we know what your license plate number says. Yeah, right. But mine's not hard to find. No. Well, I haven't been up quite that direction yet, but uh, I'm I'm still finding my own covers. Um, I do plan on visiting, and I probably at that time too. We're definitely going to bring the microphones along and see about yeah. getting a group of us up there trying not to end up with an explicit podcast. Oh, we'll be able to pull that off. We're going to do that. The grumpy old constitutionalist second annual grouse camp i'm not sure if we're going to make it without starting to yell at somebody damn dnr or someone else well we just have to say the damn dnr right <laughs> well we'll get through that one as we get there um right <laughs> looking at anything else in my notes i think maybe it's just a review it looks like we've covered everything else that thing between the, what we see is a good cover and what a bird sees is good habitat. And that we kind of covered that at the beginning as well as something maybe we didn't cover and, and could be in a different episode is understanding what the bird needs and sees as, as not your own point of view. Mm. That would be a good one. We could talk about another time. Yeah. Cause that one's going to, that one will take an hour. Definitely. Just on, just on the bird's point of view. Um, we're going to go back to, again, what you had said, the awareness of the forest and and that level of detail 
to yeah, start attention noticing. To detail, really, attention to detail. You know, the habitat, the habitat within the habitat, the cover within the cover. Mm-hmm. You know, the ecosystem as a whole. All of the attention to detail and just the awareness of that forest is that's you know when you're walking through there pay attention yeah yep and and there's no reason not to reach out to help i don't have that written down here but i've that's that's one of those things too where you don't have to go it alone as a new guy no you don't there's lots of people that can help you know between you know aspen thicket page um I like the videos the Menards guys keep posting. They're always out yeah. running dogs, and they always start videoing. And all it takes yeah, is to hit pause. You've got the, the one that uh, you and Steve kind of share there, the uh, yep, the Upland uh, Experience. Upland Experience. Mm-hmm. Great one. That's a great learning tool. Yeah. And those are just social media tools. But there's, you know, there's nothing that people don't shouldn't be afraid to be like, hey, you know, I know you're a grouse hunter. Um, can you? can I call you one time and talk, you know, or something like that? And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe can I have 15 minutes of your time just to pick your brain or something like that? And most guys would be like, hell yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And you never know. I mean, if, if you're one of those guys where you seem to hit it off with somebody over the phone too, asking just about details, what, what does it take to be a hunter, being a grouse hunter? What, what are you yeah. looking for? If things go well in that conversation, chances are you're going to meet up somewhere. You know, absolutely that's yep. the the idea that a bunch of snobby old guys aren't going to help you is is completely stupid um it we're, is we're gonna also ask you to do your chores but that yeah that's just part of it. i mean we work awful hard at this and we're willing to dump you know in my case it's about 10 years worth of knowledge your case is going to be more we're willing to pour it right into you if you can if you can drink fast enough and I, and I think the the stigma with the with the new guys against us is that they don't understand that part of it yet. They don't understand how steep the learning curve is. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we're reluctant to share it. We'll share the knowledge, but you oh, got to yeah. be all in too. You can't just <laughs> can't just be like, "Hey, I need a spot to hunt." Right. That uh, doesn't fly, right? Well, we have the, we it have. It doesn't the... fly with trout fishermen. It doesn't fly with bass fishermen. You know. <laughs> No, it doesn't, <laughs> you know, and at least too, we have the, we have the gems, you know, that's, that's always one of those kind of beginner textbooks. Well, it is. And if beginners go to the gems, no matter how hard they get pounded, mm-hmm. if they go to the gems and pay attention and spend some time poking around in there, they can learn a lot. Yep. Yep. And then that brings you to your last scouting thing, and that is if you're in a cover, especially a big one like the gems or any of these big blocks of green, as we used to call them because we always had the forest maps and the the atlases, a big block of green. If you're over here hunting grouse and you hear bang, bang from a quarter mile away, okay, that might be something to take note. If you hear about nine rounds over the course of an hour, you're going to drive back there and look at that place tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, your, your ears are a great scouting, which always stinks because when I get into a good spot and I'm on a shooting slump, I know I'm a half a box in and I'm just advertising that there's birds here. <laughs> <laughs> like, can't I just get this bird killed and get out of here? No, nope, I'm not. <laughs> That's the way it works. 
Oh, we'll save shooting slumps for another time, though. We we want to get people into the sport. <laughs> well, it's it's conservation. It's everything but the eating. <coughs> Got to be willing to fail. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But uh, this was a good kind of primer, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll do another one every so often, I think. And and again, good. A, a quick conversation like this that uh, that anyone new wants to listen to. There's an awful lot to digest, which is nice because there's always a pause button. And uh, true, yeah, yeah. Just every time we mention a new plant, that's another time to pause it, Google a picture of it, figure out where it is. Right, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> goodness, there's so much to think about. Oh, uh, it's I'm telling you, steepest learning curve out there. Yeah, yeah, because I'm. I'm almost to the point now where I think I'm adequate, which is probably setting me up for a failure somewhere. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> I've been there. I just plan on failure. I always, I'm an optimist. Okay. Except, I'm not. Except all of a sudden I sit there in disbelief going, no, didn't get that one either. No. Huh. Miss guessed what this cover's worth. Okay. Yeah, that's all right. That's what keeps you going, though. That's how you learn. Yeah, yeah. Just willingness to get back to the truck, go somewhere else, try it again, and then it helps to have a GPS. Definitely. That way, it gets you back to the truck, and then you know where you had birds and where you didn't. That's a good point. <laughs> I didn't even bring that up today, but yeah, you can mark yeah. those spots and go back and take a look at it. That's. You know, that could be a whole nother conversation about how you use that GPS and mark those spots and then get on Google Earth and mm -hmm. look for similar habitat types and so on and so forth. Yep, and now with the new the new apps that have notes, I can type the year, the date, flush count, where they were within the cover, which part yeah. of the cover was more productive. There's so much and then I gotta remember where the note went. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I still would like to see paper maps, which my dad always said, never leave a map where someone can see it. It's real easy to just get in there and get that map from you. Like, well, now my map's on my phone, and I can't get to my own map sometimes. But, right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, there's, yeah, again, we've we've just kind of gave you a quick primer as far as the, the newer grouse hunter and, uh, well, even the experienced grouse hunter, really. So... I appreciate you coming on, Dennis, and uh, and we well, will do this again. Let's go. This was this was great. I uh, hopefully I kept us from getting the explicit warning this time. Uh, I played played nice, and I appreciate you reaching out to me. Um, actually, I'm kind of humbled. Uh, it was an honor to be on here to be thought of as one of the guys that actually knows something about grouse hunting. So. Look yep. forward to our future conversations. In the meantime, you know, yeah, keep the powder dry, right? That's right. That's right. We got all summer to get ready. But uh, again, appreciate you saying yes and being on. And uh, we'll talk again later. Sounds good. See Take you. care. Yep.